Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is Podcast 333. Today, we're going to continue in the primeval period. I spoke to you about creation and the uniqueness of God's creation, how He did it within a time frame of six days, the seventh day that He rested. I believe that that's what the Bible teaches. That's the plain sense of the text. And if the plain sense makes sense, I let that be the sense, lest it all become nonsense. What we have in atheistic evolution, transmutation is nonsense. And the Bible says that everything produces after its kind. And we will look at that just briefly today. But I want to deal with man in particular because this is the foundation of the entire Bible is God's relationship, not only with creation in general, but man specifically. And that comes into play after this introductory statement of Genesis chapter 1, during this primeval period, the beginning stages, Genesis 1, 1 through Genesis 2, 3 is the introduction of all of the Bible, because it tells us how everything got here, including man. But beginning in chapter 2 and verse 4, I'm going to do just a running commentary, not on every verse, but in most of the verses that are pertinent to telling the story. In verse 4, you have the first of the Toldoth passages, that is, these are the generations of, this is the history of, this is the origin of, and this is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now the word Lord God is a a new phrase. Lord is the word Y-H-V-H. We don't know the vowel, so we don't know how to pronounce it. And so that is why the Jews, when they come across what we call Yahweh or Yahweh, they do not pronounce the name because they don't know the vowels that go with it and the pronunciation. And so when they come across what is called the Tetragrammaton, the four letters, Y-H-V-H or Y-H-W-H, but we'll go with Y-H-V-H pronunciation. That is the modern pronunciation. Y-H-V-H is the Tetragrammaton, the four letters. It is pronounced Shem, Hashem. Ha is the definite article in the Hebrew language. Shem, S-H-E-M, the name of Noah's first son, is the word name. It means name. Hashem means the name. And it is always a reference to the God of the Bible. And so Lord, in all caps, L-O-R-D, and this we'll use all the way through this study, capital L-O-R-D, all caps, is the personal name of God. And then you have Elohim again. So you have Y-H-V-H, Lord, and then Elohim, which is used in chapter 1 exclusively. And so after he says that, he said, before any plant of the field was in the earth, before any herb of the field had grown, for the Lord 
Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth. And the word there is for rain as we know it, matar. And he says, and there was no one to till the ground, to work the ground. And so he said, but a mist went up from the earth and watered the whole face of the earth. Evidently, there was something of a canopy around the earth, almost like a greenhouse where water came up from the earth. It was not as it is today. After the flood, everything changed because of uh, what we'll talk about when we get to the flood and what happened and the great disruption which caused weather then to be formed on the earth. Verse 7, YHVH Hashem Elohim formed man out of the dust of the ground, that is, out of the earth. And he breathed in him the breath of life and man became a nefesh hayah, a nefesh, a person, a soul, a living being. And and the Lord God, there's that word again, Hashem uh, Elohim, planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Now, it's interesting in verse 8 that the word east is introduced to us. There is no word for east in the Hebrew language. It is the word kadem. It's spelled Q-E-D-E-M, kadem. Or kidum, and it means forward. Now, this is very important simply because we've got to remember that every Bible writer from Moses to John throughout the entire Bible assumed, believed, and trusted that the people to whom they were writing understood the language, they understood the history, they understood the geography, they understood the cultural context of the day. All of the Bible is written from the perspective of the Middle East, what we call the nation of Israel, and in particular from the ridge that separates the east from the west, the ridge upon which the patriarchal highway is, where the patriarchs walked. It has on it a Shechem, Shechem from the north all the way to Beersheba in the south along the lines of this ridge where all of the towns that we read so much about Shechem of course in the north and then Mount Gerizim, the Shiloh, Bethel, Jerusalem, Bethlehem, Hebron and farther south it ends in the plain where Beersheba is located. That mountain ridge if you are facing standing on that ridge and you're facing the rising of the sun, you are looking forward. If you were on the Mount of Olives, for those of you who have been, you are facing the great Syrian-African rift. If you're facing east from the Mount of Olives, you're looking 4,000 feet below to Jericho, which is right below you, 4,000 feet in the distance in front of you of a sheer drop from that Mount of Olives range. And you can see the Dead Sea just to the right of you. And to your back is the Kidron Valley, which separates the Mount of Olives from the Mount of Moriah, Moriah, and on Mount Moriah, that is where you had Solomon's temple. There's a great dome that is standing there today called the Dome of the Rock, just a little bit south or to the right of your back would be the city of David called Zion, the fortress, Mount Zion. You're standing there facing the rising of the sun, and to your back would be the west and the Mediterranean Sea, which is is the hinder sea, that which is behind 
behind you. That's the term for west. And facing you, you are facing the rising of the sun. Remember, this is how directions were given in the Bible. You have seen pictures of the ancient man standing with his arms outstretched to his sides. He is standing upright and his legs are stretched apart and he is facing the rising of the sun. He is facing forward because the sun is in front of him. The word front or the word to face frontward is the word that is translated east. In ancient times, this was called orient. Those who came from the east or the rising of the sun or from the forward position as you're facing the rising of the sun, they would be called Orientals. Up until recent years, anyone from the east, from India, from Pakistan, from China, where they were called Orientals. But we no longer do that because of political correctness. But that term is with us in many ways. For instance, this is how you got your bearings. The poles had not been discovered. Of course, they were there, but they had not been discovered. And so ancient man used this terminology of facing the rising of the sun. And remember, everything is balanced and oriented, if you will, from the Middle East and from Jerusalem, which is the center of the earth. And so this is why we get our bearings by facing the rising of the sun or the orient. If you go to a new school, a new job, wherever you are, you're going to go through orientation. This is why you go is to get your bearings, to get your balance. And so that is still with us today, that ancient terminology. And so this is important because this will be the word for East all the way through the Hebrew Bible. It is this concept of standing on the Mount of Olives, facing forward, you're facing East, the rising of the sun, the sea, which we call the Dead Sea, which is 4,000 feet from Jerusalem. Jerusalem is 23 to 2400 feet above sea level. As a matter of fact, on the Mount of Olives, you're 2,700 feet above the level of the Mediterranean, 2,700 feet. Then at sea level, you go 1,300 feet below sea level, the Mediterranean Sea, and you are at the face of the Dead Sea. So you put 2,700 feet feet and 1,300 feet, and you've got 4,000 feet. That is the drop from the crest of the Mount of Olives down to the Dead Sea. And the reason that's important is because in the Bible, that is called Yom Hamelik, the Salt Sea, but it is also at times called the Forward Sea or the Eastern Sea. And the reason is because you're facing it. You're looking at it. Now, the reason I'm taking time on this is because we're going to try to understand the Bible from its Hebrew perspective because that's the perspective which the Bible was written. And so if we don't understand this and we try to make it make sense based upon the poles and based upon our language and our orientation, then we're going to miss much of the flavor and richness and color and nuances of the Bible. And so I wanted to give you this up front. The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put man whom he had formed. God formed man at one place and then placed him in the garden. In other words, the 
language is clear here that in order to place someone in something, it usually has the idea of moving them. And so this is the concept. Out of the ground, the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then it talked about all the rivers in verses 10 through 14. It comes to verse 14 and it says, Then the Lord God, there again is that Hashem Elohim, took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden. In other words, there is movement here from where he was created, which I believe is indeed Mount Moriah and the foundation stone upon which the Ark of the Covenant and the presence of God dwelt. I believe that's the very place that he made Adam. And I'm not going to get into the reasons for that now, but it has been long held down through the centuries by the Jewish people that Mount Moriah, the place where God will show up, the reason it was sacred is because that's where Adam was formed and then put in the garden. And so he put, look at this, verse 15, then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. Now this is interesting because to tend and keep has the idea of work. The word tend is the word abad, which means to serve or to work. And keep it is the word shamar, which means to watch in the sense of watching over it and responsibility for something. Now, this is so interesting to me because work is not a product of the fall. Work was designed by God when we were in our perfect condition to serve God and to work and to have responsibility is part of the very nature that God placed within us. You see, if we are not tasked with work and if we are not tasked with responsibility, if we do not understand that we have a stewardship and an accountability, then there is trouble in our lives. I've said it like this, and my oldest son Joshua has picked up on this and really made it a theme of his companies, and that is God made us on purpose, with purpose, for a purpose. We cannot live without purpose in our lives. Rick Warren, many of you know and have read his book, The Purpose Driven Life. You see, everybody has purpose. God made us on purpose, and he made us with purpose and for a purpose. We all need a reason to get up in the morning. We all need a reason to live. And this is why when we deal with senior adults and we stress in our Western culture retirement, the idea of no purpose, uh, you just quit and you don't have anything to do. You have no plan. You have no procedure to follow. And you just think you're going to retire and quit and play golf the rest of your life. And that's all you're going to do is read the newspaper and you're not going to have a plan Let me just tell you, the Bible says a man plans his way. Yes, the Lord orders his steps, but God expects us to plan. So all of us need to have a plan and a purpose. And our plan and purpose is to work. The ancients said that an idle mind is the devil's workshop. That's true. An idle life is the devil's playground. And so we need a reason to get up of a morning, a reason to go to bed at night, and that is to serve and to understand our accountability. 
this is why I believe personally and from a philosophical standpoint, why the Bible teaches us what he does about work, about purpose, and what happens when we erode the concept of a creator and a designer and a personal God. Well, it takes away any accountability and any responsibility. And all we center in on are our rights and and what someone is to give to us and what we're entitled to. You see, when a culture disregards God and that we are made in the image of God on purpose, with purpose, and for purpose, then we have no reason to live. We are just another link on an everlasting chain of the survival of the fittest. This is very important because it goes to the heart of mankind and what's happening in the Western culture today. Man is trying to put God out of his mind so there will be no accountability, so there will be no stewardship, so there will be the idea of those who are in control. They are in control so that others can serve them instead of serving God and the God who made us. Man has no value. Children have no value. Babies have no value. They're just a blob in the womb if they cannot take care of themselves, like seniors, like those who are special needs, then get rid of them. This is where communism leads to. Atheistic, godless Marxism teaches that man is valueless except for to serve the state, and the state is those who have control. These are the basic philosophies of life, and this is why the Judeo-Christian worldview is so critical to the survival of the West. The West cannot survive. A republic cannot survive without a Judeo-Christian, what we call a biblical base, because it doesn't work. Because if we don't believe that we are made in the image of God and that we are accountable to God and that we're put on this earth to serve Him and to serve our fellow man, then it will turn into dog-eat-dog, get-all-you-can, and set on the can. That's it. And that is what we're seeing today in our entitlement mentality and our culture that is based upon what we can get and what we can eat and what we can steal and to fulfill our appetites. This is not what God created us for. And I just looked, we're almost at 20 minutes. I'm going to have to close for today, but we're just getting started for On The Way. This is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On The Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at TonyCrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at TonyCrisp.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.